You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel back to the Bears. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new episode of Turf Show Times Radio. Ah, we have done some slight changes here. Um, I am pleased to introduce my new host, uh, at least for the off-season. Uh, Joe will return, um, I think. Uh but uh, there's really no reason I can't get this done with Mr. Mighty Andor Meissen, man. Uh, Meissen, how you doing, dude? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Looking forward to a uh, interesting off season. I think things just things keep getting more and more interested with this off season. <laughs> they do. They do. They do. And uh, as we found out earlier this week. Uh, later this week, whatever, however, however you want to have later last week, um, the the rival of the Rams appear to, at least in some capacity, seem to have a handle on their situation as they have all but formally announced Kyle Shanahan. It's it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. They can't announce him until after the Super Bowl. But Perhaps more mystifying than than hiring Kyle Shanahan because there's nothing mystifying about hiring him. He was one of the hottest head coaching candidates in the league. I'm actually kind of surprised he fell to the Niners, to be quite honest with you. But uh, the Niners went ahead and hired John Lynch. Uh, Yeah, that John Lynch. uh, No experience whatsoever as a front office executive. Uh, I'm definitely a football guy. Um, I, I think it was classy who pointed out he hates that people call him a media guy. Like, look, let, let's be clear about this. John Lynch beats some ass on the field. He's a football guy. Uh, but he also happened to transition very well into, well, the debatable, into the booth afterward. But now he'll step into that front office. And, man, uh, before we get started on the Rams woes, Let's talk about this, man, because the Niners at one point were, along with Seattle, so far and away ahead of this division, and now they're not. How do you – you and Scott were talking about this before I got on air with you guys. You guys are having an off-air conversation. I miss most of it. So where do you come down on this hire? Because uh, are you as mystified as I am? <laughs> I think the whole world is. I don't see how anyone could honestly say they saw this coming. This was so left field. It was ridiculous. Like, 
yeah. just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> it really did. It just kind of came out of there was no sort of signs of them uh, speaking with him or even looking to go towards the broadcast booth to find their next GM. But and, and, and considering that this is a uh, a roster that's so devoid of talent in so many spots right now, with so many players leaving over the past couple of years. Um, it's a lot of holes to fill. So you would think that the uh, number one priority in finding in the next GM is somebody that has some sort of experience, you know, in evaluating talent to fill those holes. So this one was so out of left field. I think everyone should be shocked. No one, I don't think anyone could really say they saw it coming. And Josh, my scene uses the exact perfect analogy or oh, oh, saying right. out of left field. I didn't. I, I, no, we let Scott out of his out of, out of his chain. No, I'm just joking. Ah, out so, of left field. No, I, uh, no. So, uh, what, what, what you got to say there, Scotty? Yeah, I was gonna say out of as the producer of the L.A. Rams podcast for Turf Show Times, I get a lot of <laughs> guff for being a Niner fan, right? Well, I am actually also an Angels fan in baseball, so I can bring it down to SoCal. And this is the equivalent of Vladimir Guerrero showing up at Angel Stadium on opening day and saying, oh, by the way, guys, I'm playing left field today without having played for the last five years. That's how out of left field this is. Yeah, it, uh, it kind of is insane to me that... Uh, I think the part that baffles me the most, and when I say insane, I, I, I don't, I guess I just don't know any other way to put it. Like, the, the, the best part of this story is that John Lynch called and nominated him, like, he put, he basically got himself the job. What? Yeah. You didn't, yeah, you didn't read that? No. Yeah, that's definitely how it happened. No. John John Lynch called Kyle Shanahan about a week ago and told him of, you know, hey, I, I would like to be the GM. I would like to come in and work with you. And and uh, Lynch obviously had, uh, you know, some close ties uh, with the organization, right. with, with Shanahan's family, with Mike. uh obviously helped push that along and so yeah lynch nominated himself man this isn't this is like john lynch's name wasn't pulled out of a search firm by like corn fairy no 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 that's not how this went down he called kyle shanahan and said hey who's got two thumbs and wants to be your new gm this guy excuse me while i go pull my head out of the wall What's that? I said, excuse me while I go pull my head out of the out of the wall. <laughs> it's, uh, that, I mean, the, the the hiring of John Lynch, like I, I think by itself, while it is mystifying, if you take it at face value, it's it's really not that strange with what we've seen in the sports landscape, right? We we've seen players come in like Jason Kidd, you know, getting hired by the Nets basically as a as a damn player coach. It didn't work out, but we've seen sports teams do similarly odd stuff. 
maybe 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 not odds the right word non-traditional would probably be a better way of putting it if you don't want to upset anybody yeah let me uh, but, let me see one last thing and then I'll let uh, you and Myson have at it the one thing that if they were gonna, wanted to do something similar that would have made more sense had they been willing to had Jed York been willing to check his ego is if he went ahead and gave the job to another broadcaster, former player that actually does have ties to the organization, and oh by the way, happens to be one of your former all pro quarterbacks who's a Hall of Famer and is a lawyer and owns businesses, that being Mr. Steve Young. That would have been my pick if they wanted to do something like this. But obviously, they're running the organization and I'm not. Well, you know, that would just make too much sense. Right. <laughs> you know, to do to do something like that, that would make way too much sense. So obviously, they have to go the opposite direction. You think? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Paul it's Steve- a... It's an interesting, it's an interesting storyline. I'm, I'm really, really looking to see how it plays out. Well, uh, it, just start, start with the draft. Like, what are start with free agency? <laughs> yeah. Who's gonna go there? Well, and I think the curious part about this is, is that you know, you you take a look at at their situation, especially with Kyle Shanahan being a first time guy, being a hot shot so on and so forth. This is his first time being a head coach, and he's a young mind. Now, let's be real here, okay? Even though he's had the position now for five years, Les Snead is still a first-time general manager as well. So it's not so much different from Lynch. I mean, it is. He does have five years of experience, but... That's only because he had five years of experience. You know, Lynch can get there, too. It's conceivable. Like, Les Snead did it, and he went from basically being a scout to a director of player personnel to a general manager. So, I mean... But, you, you, but you that's, pretty much, that's, that's the pretty common track record for becoming a general manager. You know, you... You kind of start off as on that scouts level and kind of work your way up the ladder and learn the ropes. John Lynch didn't learn anything. <laughs> he just popped, made a phone call and popped right in. <laughs> it, it's a different. It's a different path. It's it's a different path. I'll, I'll give you that. I'm not. I'm not saying it's it, it's not. But but you look at John Lynch and. You know, this is a guy who's been around football for a long damn time, you know, uh, crap. I mean, he, he joined the league in what, 1993. I mean, that, that's a long ass time ago. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously that doesn't count the amount of ball he's played growing up or, or his temperament. I mean, you look at Les Snead and say, okay, he went to a scout to player development and, and, and that's kind of like following the path, but, at the same time, he really didn't have any front office major experience other than maybe director or player personnel, which I don't know. 
I guess it's a big position, but I don't really see it as such. Like, I'm looking for that assistant general manager. I'm looking for several different things. I mean, director of player personnel is great. It's definitely something you want to have on your resume. But if you've just got those two items, I mean, look at the track record of Les Snead. You see what I'm saying? Like, I mean... It's it's the the thing with Les Snead though is in some ways he's going to be a first time GM in the sense that this will be the first time he's gotten to operate without Jeff Fisher. Yeah, this is true. And and who knows exactly how much control Fish had over everything, and how that affected Sneed's ability to do his job. So it will be curious to see how they play out, but there's a lot of similarities, obviously, between McVeigh and Shanahan with their, uh, you know, obviously being young, brilliant minds that come from an extraordinarily extensive background of football, even if they are young guys. I mean, they grew up in the game. Both of them, literally. So there, there, there are some great comparisons there. However, what you've got now is you've got Kyle Shanahan, who's going to have to wait to assemble his staff. And and there's not a boatload of, of great options available out there now because the Niners you know, kind of hung back and, and, and decided that they would be the ones to wait for Shanahan. The Rams, however, got off to a pretty good start with hiring Wade Phillips. So now where do the Rams go from here? Because obviously Anthony Lynn's off the table. What what do the Rams need to do to further convince people that their money should come to the Coliseum rather than to the StubHub Center? Uh, First things first is they got to make a – a huge uh, splash in free agency. They got to go get some. They got to go get some names. <laughs> they got to bring in some guys that that are big names that are Pro Bowl players, uh, not just caliber Pro, pro Bowl caliber players. Because I mean, anyone has caliber has the caliber. You know, that's why you're there. You have the potential to be a Pro Bowl player. You know, so you've got to actually have that track record that they bring in. It can't just be some of these uh, signings that's similar to the past where guys are, uh, you know, you're bringing in some Joe Line Dunbars and things like that. Not to knock, not to knock those signings, but I mean, there was really no real effort to go get those marquee players. And if it was a big name, they were a big name at one point, but was no longer that same player like a Jake Long or a Cortland Finnegan. You know, you have to get someone who's still that guy, bring them in. And honestly, I think they have to bring in probably two big names. And then from there, they got to have a really, really good, uh, really good draft. You know, are you looking to... at this? Which, when you say big names, I, I just want to clarify here, and you can keep going. Are you talking about either through through, through free agency, through free agency, get, or or trying to get like a steal in the draft that falls? Well, no, because that's 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 so much more hard. That's harder to do. You know. Um, than to go go attack someone in free agency. While neither is a guarantee, you know, you can't 
force someone to sign with you and you can't guarantee that someone's going to fall to you, I think that you have a much higher probability of landing someone through free agency than getting someone to fall because to get someone to fall, you're talking about them passing past 31 other teams. And that's only if you're picking 32, <laughs> you know, so right. considering their first pick isn't until pick, uh, what is it, 40 or something close to that. You know, they right. there's some ways down, 37, pick 37. Um, they, ha- they have a lot of ways to go before they get their first pick. Now, granted, the top part of this draft is very top heavy, you know, so there's going to be some quality talent you know, some really, truly first round guys that fall right into their lap. But there's no guarantee that it's going to be, you know, guys that are big major needs. You know, if it's a quarterback that just slipped down the draft board, I highly doubt if they're going to take them at pick 37. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's uh, it's going to be really um, especially especially not this year. You know, I don't I don't yeah. think that the quarterback crop screams take a chance on me. Like, you know, I mean, maybe. Well, maybe no, 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 no. I just. I just mean like, you know, just use an example, you know, if a, if a player falls down to 37 and it's it's not somebody they, they have a dire need for, they're not going to go draft a quarterback after drafting a Jared Goff. They're not going to draft a quarterback with their first pick this year, you know. That's what I meant by that, you know. So it, it, it's just like if the top player or the, the, the best player that falls down to them is a, a defensive tackle, it probably wouldn't be the wisest thing to draft that guy considering you just signed, re-signed Michael Brockers and you're, uh, and then you have Aaron Donald, you know, so it probably wouldn't be the, the best move to go and draft a defensive tackle before anyone else, you know, so that's why I say is uh, even if a player does fall, you still need it to be the right type of player. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, especially, especially if it's going to be a receiver because the Rams have had their problems there. Now, one of the things you wanted to talk about is you want to look at the front office, man. And people, one of the questions we got, you know, was what happened to the changes uh, that were supposed to happen with the with the front office? Uh, let me see. This came from Irv. Um, Irv wanted to know, Irv H, what, you know, what happened to the changes in the front, op- front office? Dimoff said there was good, there were organizational failures, yet no changes. I think that depends on how you look at it, to me. I think b- if you look at the fact that Jeff Fisher really did seem to call a lot of the shots, then when you're talking about front office failures, failures you can kind of include Fisher into that mix. I, I guess fans were hoping that either Demoff or Sneed were going to be gone. Where do you come down on the front office? You know, it is, um, I think that it's, it's one of those things where I can see both sides of the spectrum. Uh, I can see how it's uh, a shock that Les Sneed is still around, but then I can also see why he's still around. You know, I think him still being around kind of further uh, proves what pretty much most people already let me say thought rather than people knew, but since you can't 100% prove it, but thought, what most people thought, which is Jeff Fisher had the majority of the control on these personnel decisions. Um, I, I said last year um, when the word got out, how the trade went down to land Jared golf, that I thought that was the first time ever that Les need really had, his say, you know, considering that he got the ball rolling on the entire Jared Goff move and it was his idea, and you know, that which was which was the word that came down from John Robertson with the Titans as well as Jeff Fisher. They both, unless Sneed, they all admitted that this was 
let's need that deal. Uh, that was the first time, though, in four years where any anything happened and Leslie got full credit. Um, so I, it would make sense to me why he's uh, still around, considering that he's never really had the um, the poor. He's never had the final word or say so and things. So uh, you can't really put too much blame on him. And if you can't put too much blame on him, then how do you fire him? Now, on the other side, he is the GM. So it's like <laughs> you look at it and you look at some of the, the failures with some of the the, the way that the, the roster has been orchestrated. And, you know, you got, you know, him being the GM, you got you kind of have to look at him and say, OK, how much of this is your fault? And then that when you do that, then considering how bad things have gone over the last couple of years, you, it would make sense why a person would expect him to be uh, to be fired or be replaced. So I can see both sides of the spectrum. I, like I think I said this last week, but I look at this year as kind of a, a, a one year prove it deal, you know, make a break. You know, it's, it's time for him to show why he why he is a, a general manager in the NFL and make the right moves and you know put the right players on this team. And especially considering that. Sean McVay, you know, is the head coach now. You know, you have a brand new coach, first time coach. It's really important to get him, uh, get him off on the right foot. And you know, you got to put together the right team to do that. So he's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And and obviously, you know, we got into the subject of a free agency. Let's get into some fan questions here and deal with free agency. Now, the first one comes. Uh, from uh, Eric. Eric wanted to know. Um, you look at how val- how valuable is TJ McDonald to keep around? Can and 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 I'll kind of add on to that. Can Alexander slide into that strong safety? Uh, I think uh, I think that Maurice Alexander can. I think that's his natural position. Now that says a lot, considering that. He really took some massive steps forward. Um, in my personal opinion, he's one of the most uh, overall improved players in the entire NFL, not just on the Rams roster, but he finished as a top 20 safety this year, um, graded by PFF. So that within itself is very impressive. The jump that he had from his times in coverage last year, for example, when TJ McDonald got hurt and he came in, it was he did not grade out very good at all. You know, there was a lot of struggles, a lot of misassignments. Um, he could he would couldn't even get onto the field his rookie year. So his his steady improvement and growth is very very remarkable. And considering how well he played, especially at the free safety position, a position that many didn't think he would ever fit into coming out. Um, you know, you kind of have to take your hat off to him. Um, but again, strong safety is kind of or strong safety is kind of more his. Natural natural mode. So I think that he could slide over and uh, switch it up. However, to uh, answer the first part of the question, uh, I don't think that TJ McDonald carries a lot of uh, value. Uh, you know, like, I don't think he's a mandatory have to be ha- brought back uh, free agent. I just don't see that with him. Um, from the day that he came on to the, uh, the day that he was drafted and came, entered the starting lineup, Till now, there's been very little improvement in his game. You know, he's still one of the absolute worst cover safeties in the league. He's never really cracked into the top 50 rankings. It's always been, you know, really, really below average starter. 
Um, and it's, it's consistently been there. The only thing consistently consistent about his game has been that he's consistently been below average. Um, even worse, he has missed more tackles than any player in the NFL over the last three years or the last four years. So I think that when you take all those things into account, um, you tend to go for the big hit in college too. It yeah, you know, the shit out of me, man. Yeah, he just goes in head first, and hey, if he hits, it, if he if he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. That's kind of the mentality, you know. And it, it resulted in a lot of missed tackles. And then you add in the terrible, um, the terrible coverage. I just don't see how it's worth um, going out of your way to get him re-signed. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, if he wants to come back on a reasonable deal, I'm not saying that he's an absolutely terrible player, you know. So, if he wants to come back on a reasonable deal, then fine, yeah, bring him back. But um, I still think that safety help needs to be added, whether you bring him back or not. There needs to be an upgrade. But if he's brought back, it needs to be on your terms at your price. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. The third question was rank our free agents according to who we should keep. Now, there's about there are 17 players that are going to be free agents of some type, either uh, restricted, uh, unrestricted or exclusive restricted. But there are 17 in total. Obviously, different free agents will have more market value. Uh, than others, but the two biggest three, probably the three biggest names that are up for grabs are True, uh, Case Keenum, and then you could say either Benny Cunningham or Kenny Britt, probably. Um, when you go down this list, let me just let's 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 start with five. Who and I'll go first for me. I think I, I, you know, seventeen players is a lot. I can go down and rank that, and and we'd be here all night if we were going to rank all seventeen players. But look, man, I I think that getting back Case Keenum as your backup, uh, it's it's worthwhile. Um, he doesn't really hit your cap space that hard. Uh, he's not likely to be a starter elsewhere in the league. Um, and I, for whatever reason, they don't seem to have a lot of confidence in Mannion. I don't, I don't get it. So, I, I mean, looking at this for me, I think, you know, your top five guys, because 17 is just way too many to go through. But guys, I think you got to bring back. I would start with Benny Cunningham would be my, my first guy that I'd try and re-sign. Benny Cunningham did so much for the Rams this year when Todd Gurley did not. And considering that his 2016 average is about like 1.67 million, uh, you'd be a fool not to bring him back in some capacity. Uh, now the question is, what do you, how do you feel about Case Keenum? Uh, he's 28 years old, roughly about 3.6 against cap space. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now, look, the, the, the team doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in Mannion, but, but Keenum's a guy that he still did some numbers and at least understands this offense. I think that'd be a guy that I would bring back. 
Uh, now, whether or not you want to go ahead and bring back Kenny Britt, I suppose, would depend on how you feel about the draft and the possibility of a decent receiver sliding all the way to two. So that would be that would be number three. And then I guess, you know, TJ uh, w- would be in there and, and Trumaine would obviously be one of my top choices to bring back. But how about yourself? Um, you know, this is actually a really good question um, because as far as unrestricted free agents go, the Rams only have nine. You know, so it's not like they're they're. Um, When it comes to unrestricted free agency, they just have a lot of players that's up ready to go. Um, Half of the players that's on their list is restricted. So that kind of helps them out since the player can't really move without negotiating with the Rams first, whereas these other guys can just go. Um, The problem is their best players that's headed towards free agency are all unrestricted, (laughs) you know? So that's kind of where the problem lies, which is what makes this such a good question because that puts the pressure onto uh, less need. You know, um, how do you, how do you figure out who do you, who do you have to have back and who can you take that risk on losing? Um, I look at it and I say, this is, this is an odd situation because there's multiples for each position out of the nine, you know, you got multiple running backs, you have multiple receivers, you know, you, you have multiple defensive backs. There's really no one here, one here, one here. When you lose multiple, you're not only losing a starter, you're losing depth, <laughs> you know? So uh, that really make, that really kind of makes the thing, makes it a little harder um, uh, to figure out who's, who's most important. Uh, if, you, if it's me, um, I, I like the idea of bringing back, Benny Cunningham, but personally, I think that that would probably be the one of the harder people to bring back. Um, he would have to be really, really loyal just to the Rams organization, considering the fact that Benny Cunningham is, you know, I believe 27 now, um, at 26, 27 at that age. You know, you know that you're, you know, you this is your chance to get your one big contract before you're running back. You only have to your 30 and. I think he's going to look for his opportunity to, to get more snaps, to get them carried the ball more, and to get his payday, uh, which is going to make him a very hard person to resign. But I agree with you. I think he's a valuable piece that needs to be resigned because of his third down change of pace role and his uh, kick return. He ch- he changes the field position, and um, there's just, I don't think there's any denying what type of back he is uh, on third down. And just in general, he's a good running back. Um, so I would agree with you 100%. Benny Cunningham would be a, a key piece to try to get brought back, but I think he might be the hardest of anyone to be brought back. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, I personally think that he might be one of the easier players to be brought back. Um, and I think that's only because his market is going to be overplayed. Um, and if his market is being overplayed, and uh, I think that that will make him a little easier to sign. Plus, he's really Hollywood. This is like L.A. is perfect for him. (laughs) You know, I don't think he has a lot of interest in leaving that atmosphere since that's just so him. Um, So I think that uh, there's some things playing in his favor. Plus, he knows with the Rams, he's going to be the top corner. So he's going to be the guy, you know. So there's a lot of things that kind of plays in his favor, which I think, you know, will uh, make him lean towards sticking around. Um, I also agree with you on Case Keenum. Um, I believe the Rams 
the have to have some type of a veteran sort of a experience in that quarterback room. Just having Jared Goff and Sean Mannion, um, I don't think there there is enough experience. Case Keenum has a lot of experience. He's a very smart quarterback. He's my, he may not be the most physically gifted, but he's a smart quarterback. So I think that that's invaluable, um, especially when you have a young Jerry Goff who who needs the help, and he and you have a Sean Mannion who's was drafted only a year before Jared Goff. So it's not like there's a lot going on between those two. Um, Case Keenum can really really help that quarterback room, but at the same time, how much do, are you willing to invest? in a guy who's just sticking around just to mentor someone, you know? So uh, that's, I think that's a tough question that you gotta, you have to really seriously consider. Um, after that, I think it really kind of just, it really starts to fall apart. Um, you have Kenny Britt, who I personally would like to see brought back. Um, I think that the um, Rams nation is kind of torn on. Uh, you have some people that's like, yeah, you know, bring them back. And you have people that's just like, absolutely not. There's no gray area. There's no, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you know, it's either they want them or they don't uh, for Kenny Britt. I personally, I would like to see Kenny Britt back. Um, but I'm not 100% sold that it's going to happen, after, especially after the report came out that the Rams were already looking to move on from him and Tremaine Johnson. Um why stay somewhere where you don't really feel wanted, even if the new coach wants you? Because the, the report did confirm that Sean McVay, you know, that wasn't his words and he had nothing to do with it. This is what the organization was already thinking. So even if Sean McVay, McVay says, hey, I do want this guy back, you know that there's other people in the organization that don't want you back. And you're probably going to get a very good payday. So if they're not talking about paying you at least close to what you want, and they don't really want you back to begin with, there's a pretty good chance you're going to leave. So we might have seen the last of Kenny Britt, and he might be going on his on his way. So, I mean, it, it's hard to pick out five. Um, yeah. For me, it's hard to pick out five um, because I don't think T.J. McDonald is a must-resign. Uh, Stedman Bailey hasn't been clear to play. However, I do know that he is currently get going under test for going under test to see if he's going to be cleared to play again. Whether or not he uh, whether or not he's going to be the same player or not, just for his sake, I really hope that he is cleared because that would be an amazing comeback story. But yeah, um, it, it, even if he's cleared, he hasn't played it forever. I'm, he's not a necessary resign. Uh, Cam Thomas would be a good resign. Um, but I don't think it's a mandatory have to resign. Um, Brian Quick, absolutely not. <laughs> I think Same. that experiment has has proved what it is, and that's it. <laughs> Greg's airline had a really good season. Well, where do you um, come down on Dominic Easley? Because I think you know Z Z well, and Dominic Easley he, were going to be two guys that I think are 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 question marks for me because Z Easley is actually a restricted free agent, which is weird considering how he became a restricted free agent. But uh, he's a restricted free agent, so the Rams have first deals on him, and my guess is they're probably going to tender him. You know, that that'd be my guess. I think Dominic Easley will be brought back. I think they're probably gonna give him a first round tender, um, second round at the lowest, but I believe he'll be brought back. Um I don't really see him getting away from the Rams when he's a restricted free agent. And he played really well. So considering the fact that he played so well and he's restricted, I don't see him getting away. I believe that he will be brought back. What about Z? What about what who? About Z Zerline. Greg's airline. You know, he had a really good year. Um, his misses 
all came from 50 yards or longer, and they were tough kicks. I know he has one of the strongest legs in the NFL, if not the strongest, but you know, just because a guy has such a strong leg don't mean you just automatically throw him out there to kick from 59 yards, <laughs> you know, um, and that's where his misses came. He, uh, he actually had a very good year, a very, very, very good bounce back year. Um, I was personally impressed with his kicking. thought he did a very good job. Um, his kicks, most of the kicks were like straight down the middle. Like he was splitting the pipes often. Um, when, he, when he was hitting, he was hitting from all these different angles and uh, all these different distances, and he was splitting the pipes often. So I thought he, I thought he did a really good job of kind of bouncing back from a, a very, very, very down year where it was pretty clear and obvious that he was suffering from the yips. Um, he definitely rebounded. I think that bringing him back um, wouldn't be a bad idea, um, but I, I, I can see why you would want to bring in competition too, considering that. He did have a really, and it wasn't just last year. It was half of the previous year as well. So it went on for about a year and a half of him just being in a slump. You know, a year and a half out of four years is not a very good thing. You know, so you know, you 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 really want to bring in that competition. But again, he had a really good bounce back. So I would be okay with re, uh, re-signing Zerline, um, but I would also want to bring in some competition. I don't think you get too many kickers like him, man. I, I I think that's the thing with Zerline is I think. He's one of those guys that if you let him go, you risk him becoming a weapon against you. Because yeah. there are plenty of teams, even in the division, that would love to sign him to begin. You know, especially now that you have the extra point where it is, guys. This is with, true. Guys with big legs are a commodity, and I think that if you've got a special teams unit that did as well as it did last year it should be a point of emphasis to keep at least that retained, especially when all you really need to do is just give Zerline a modest contract that values him, uh, you know, right along with the others, you know, top, maybe top five, top 10 kickers in the league. Just give him a contract comparable to that with, with some nice incentives. And I think that that's one position you can lock up. You just get it done. You get it over with, man, because I don't, I don't really see, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I've not looked at what kickers will be free agents this year. Let's actually, let me, let me do that real quick. Let me, let me look, let me look at, let me do all teams here and let me look at you kickers. Know, I'm glad you mentioned that about special teams though, because it just hit me when you were talking. Um, Chase Reynolds is also an unrestricted free agent this year. Yes, now, yes, he is. That the, the interesting thing about that is, if you had meant, if we were talking about this, you know, three years ago, I'd be like, so what? Chase Reynolds, whatever. You can find another special teams guy that's just as good, but. Now, down the line, Chase Reynolds has really evolved into one of the absolute best special teams players in the NFL. Yep. I don't think that they they should lose him. Um, no, Chase, I, I agree. Chase Reynolds is a – I think he would probably fall in my top five. Um, well, my top four since I only named four. <laughs> uh, Chase Reynolds has to be brought back, not just for his special teams, but he's a, uh, he, has, he brings an unbelievable leadership quality. If, especially if you let Benny Cunningham go. If you let Benny Cunningham go, then Chase Reynolds is an – you have to re-sign him. You have to re-sign one of the two. And if, yeah. and if like you said, Cunningham's going to go and get his payday, then Reynolds is a guy that you need to keep.
deep in-house. Now, here's some fun facts, though. I went and looked it up. Every single kicker in the NFC West is an unbreacher, is a, is a free agent. Uh, Phil Dawson <laughs> is a is a free agent. Stephen Hauschka is a free agent. Greg Zerline is a free agent. And uh, Chandler Catanzaro. Uh, yeah, Catanzaro is a restricted free agent. So when yeah. I say that letting Zerloin go could literally come back to hurt you in the division, Hauschka, uh, you know, he's only 31, but I'm looking at Phil Dawson at 42. Look, I know he was 90%, but you know what? Greg Zerloin was 100% on PATs. And other than Craig Boswell, nobody else was 100%. And on his field goal percentage, he was outside of Robbie Gould. Uh, Greg Zerline was the fourth best, only behind Hauschka in the division and Cairo Santos. So when you look at his overall efficiency on PATs and field goals, look, I don't really see that you get much better. Uh, you could, you could, I guess do, I guess you could bring in Hauschka, uh, but Hauschka is going to probably cost you more than Zerline. He's making nearly, he's making nearly three mil a year to, for, uh, Seattle. So, you know, I, I, I think Zerline's a guy you really got to bring back because he's outside of Catanzaro who's making, wow, only 510,000. Uh, Greg Zerloin is the cheapest kicker in the league because Phil Dawson's making 3.1. So, I mean, it, it, it comes down to you have a decent amount of cap space, lock up what you can, and then get after your free agents because you're not going to have to worry about a first-round pick. That's, that's, that's the killer right there. If you were the Rams looking at about 45, 44 mil in, in cap space, which is, I think, what they're projected, right? About 44? Yeah, about that, about there. Okay, so you have 44. That's not bad. It's also not excellent. But it's it's right in that you can do something range and not having a first-round obligation – I think really benefits the Rams this year. It almost benefits them to stay out of it because it'll give them more money to not just go after later rounds if they want to kind of trade up, maybe get another second round pick somehow. Uh, but it also gives them an opportunity, I think, to re-sign one or two of these key guys that you're talking about that we would put in our top five. You know, that's a really, really interesting point that you just made. And let's look at it on the grand scheme of things. The um, rookie pay scale is guaranteed. It's locked in. There's no way out of it. You're going to get this much. That's what it is. Well, if the Rams had their first round pick, they would be picking number five. The number five pick is going to be guaranteed about $20 million. Yep. <laughs> that would be half of the, <laughs> that would be. Well, not half because it, it wouldn't be all be in this year, but the signing bonus and then the this year's salary it would be at probably least a third. At it was exactly it will probably come out to be about twelve million dollars that was spent just on the first round pick for this year. So that's uh, <laughs> that's something to think about, uh, which is a really interesting point that you brought up that not having that first round pick is probably going to afford them the uh, opportunity to 
uh, go and find someone in free agency, which me personally, I hadn't really thought about before now. Um, I still don't like the fact that they don't have their first round pick, considering that this year's draft is really loaded at receiver early on, which is something they need. They could they look at it this way. If they had the number five pick, they could have a legit they could go get Mike Williams or a Corey Davis or something. They can't do that. So or Malik Hooker or something like that. Some of the, some of their biggest holes is some of the best positions in the early in the draft. So if they had the top five pick, they could get it. But since they don't, um, it's it does give them the opportunity to hit free agency hard. You brought up last week that that receiver is so loaded. It's a position that the Rams can hope that the teams that draft by need are are going to skip. But there's going to be a lot of teams that skip over receiver, and the Rams are going to be the beneficiary of that because while they're not picking super early, there will be some quality receivers still available in the second round. Uh, when they do pick and it's thought that at least in our mock-up I believe we had number 37 overall is is in round two so uh, you're only talking about five picks into the second round there's still going to be some really quality receivers available there and not having that first round pick and the ability to sign a guy to round two money is going to be absolutely huge for the Rams because he's going to be their first overall pick but you know, they're not going to have to pay him that kind of money. And if, if they keep their picks as they are, if the Rams do some proper due diligence, and that's, you know, McVay looking like he's going to do, you know you got Wade Phillips there who can evaluate talent, and he'll probably get one or two of those picks in that draft. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what does happen with who they bring back. But I think not having that first round pick is, is going to have a major role in it. Like, like you were kind of just talking about, um, moving on. We got another question here from our guy, Flipper Anderson on Twitter, who I don't actually think is Flipper Anderson. Uh, it's, it's DC film ninja. Uh, he wants to know, uh, from the D.C. media, sounds like Washington tight ends coach Wes Phillips is the likely O.C. with McVay calling plays. Do you like the match? No. <laughs> why don't you like the match? And then I'll tell you why I don't like it. OK, so here's the thing. I understand the the possibility you know, I'm not going to say the hire since it's not official, but I understand the possibility of bringing in, um, bringing in his, his buddy, <laughs> you know, because considering Sean McVay wants to and is going to because it's his call being the head coach, uh, he, he to call the plays, it's going to be very hard to get someone in that has a uh, proven track record or is a decent office coordinator because that guy is going to want to uh, he's going to want to call the he's going to want to call his own place. You know, it's just that simple. There's no there's no way around it. And it makes sense. Why wouldn't he? He's put his time in. Absolutely. However, considering in this scenario, you have a guy that has no track record whatsoever. Wes Phillips, um, I think he's been. If I'm not mistaken, he's been uh, been the position coach over there since 2014. So he has no track record of calling the plays or anything like that. It's just 
it makes sense for for Sean McVay to want to make this move because he's going to bring in a guy that's not really doing anything. It's going to be all Sean McVay. He doesn't have to share the load with anyone, and there doesn't have to be a power struggle because he wants to call plays on offense, and the, the, the guy that he brings in wants to call plays. He doesn't have to worry about any of that, which makes sense to me. So I get it from that perspective. But I think that as a first-time head coach, um, if history has shown us anything, when they try to uh, come in and put so much onto their plate, it's been a very, 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 very low success rate. Um, so I think he needs to find someone that he doesn't necessarily have to relinquish the, uh, the play calling, but he needs someone that can take some of the load off. And I'm, I think that you need someone experienced to do that. Uh, you need someone that knows what they're doing. Um, I don't believe that that's going to be Wes Phillips. So I don't like it. It makes sense to me from a, uh, power struggle, uh, perspective. I get it from, from looking at it from that point of view, but it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, with that being said, West West also outside of Sean McVay, his dad is Wade Phillips. Yeah, <laughs> so, so nepotism. So he has yeah, exactly. You know, he has uh, he has the uh, the coaching background though. You know, it's it's in his blood. But I'm not I'm not sold on this at all. Um, it's Sean McVay's buddy from Washington, and then it's also Wade Phillips' son. It's just a it's an easy hire that. From a like again, for, when it comes to the power struggle, you don't have to worry about it because dad's right there and he'll he'll throw you over his knee if you get out of line. And then you know it's your buddy and you don't know anything about calling plays like he does, so you don't have to worry about that. But I believe that he does need that help um, where he has a guy that can take the pressure off of him. So I'm not a fan of the hire, well, the potential hire at all. Yeah. I'm with I'm with you. Uh, I think we see it from from both for the same reasons. Um, I don't think that I, I don't mind if if McVeigh comes in and installs the offense and helps him with play design, uh, maybe even a couple play calls here and there. But look, man, you you need to be a head coach, and there, there's a reason that guys like Belichick and Pete Carroll can do it now, it's because they had to get fired sucking at it first. They didn't do it right at first. And then they learned how to be that sort of defensive coordinator type guy or have final say, you know, uh, uh, and get to do the things that they want. Um, You know, it's one of those things that you earn with time. And I don't necessarily know that hiring somebody out of the gate, as I understood it, when when you know you hire somebody like Wade Phillips on defense, you set your, you sort of set yourself a precedent. You can't go then in the opposite direction and then hire an OC with no experience. You know, you said you wanted to surround yourselves, and if if you know uh, the Chargers hadn't hired him, Anthony Lynn was going to be the guy. I don't know how you go from Anthony Lynn to Wes Phillips. You know, like there should be several play callers in between that you could at least pick up the phone and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" You know. Uh, do you want to come and be the offensive coordinator over here? And, uh, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that, that McVeigh needs to limit what he has on his plate this year. I think the job 
the task ahead of him is already big enough. I don't think he needs to add to it. Uh, but I would add, though, that I don't hate Wes Phillips. If they end up doing that, if Wes Phillips is a guy who was probably always destined to be a play caller of some kind. Now, look, if you got a dad like, you know, uh, like Wade Phillips, who was, you know, the son of bum, like straight out, man, I imagine your football acumen's probably through the roof. So just because the dude is a tight ends coach, I'm not going to write off what he's capable of doing because he could probably sit there in film room on a, you know, uh, what is it, the the college football final. He could probably sit in there and call out the offenses and defenses too, you know. When, yeah. when you have that kind of a pedigree, you usually – you're brought up with it. It's second nature. It's like if you come from a family of musicians, you know how to play something, man. Um, so I would understand it if they did it, but I think that I would bring him on as like a passing games coordinator slash tight ends coach and and let let somebody with a little bit more experience be the OC, even if it's somebody that's going to move on. At least then you have at least a small period of West Phillips being under him. And then you can say, well, look, he's shown a proclivity in meetings. We just, you know, it's an in-house thing that, that I would understand, but I I'm with you in that. I think they need to bring somebody aboard who uh, has a bit more experience because that was what McVeigh said he was going to do. And I, again, I'll just say it one last time. I don't know how you go and say, Oh, we were going to get Anthony Lynn to, all right, let's just hire Wes Phillips. Yeah, it it, it feels like um, it feels like they're really kind of throwing in the towel. Like, okay, let's just it's like get you this went position. In to see a Denzel movie and like you got a Yui Bowl movie instead. <laughs> you know, like I don't. It, I, it just it just feels like at this point they're rushing it. Like you know what? It's not. We're not getting the guy in here fast enough. Let's just get some. Let's just get the position filled so we can move on. That's what it kind of feels like. But then it also feels like a. Um, I have to make sure that there's not a uh, issue of power, you know. Um, right. Now, with that being said, as far as West Phillips go, um, I don't want it to seem like I'm just completely soured on the idea of him. I do think that there can be some positives. Uh, you look at his uh, track record with what he's done with tight ends. Um, it really stands out to me because when you think of the fact that the Rams just drafted last year Tyler Higby and Tamari Hemingway, who between those two players is a ridiculous amount of talent, uh, just physical ability and uh, size. They're both 6'5", you know, a lot of size, 6'5", 250 for both of them. Speed, legit speed, there's some real t- ability there. Um, when you look at his track record with what he's done over the last three or four seasons with Jordan Reed and uh, when Jordan Reed went down, the way that the next guy up, you there was just tight end after tight end after tight end over the past couple of seasons, just constantly coming into the role and producing between um, Jordan Reed and um, you had Miles Paul and Logan Paulson. There was just a no matter what happened with the starter, guys were falling left and right. Just they didn't have a, a lot of luck with health at the position, but the next guy that would come in just kind of picked up where the other guy left off, no matter who it was. 
And I think that that's very impressive because when you see that happens, it usually has a lot to do with coaching. Not very many teams are lucky enough to just have five tight ends <laughs> that can just pop up and pre- perform, you know, at that level. So um, when you when you see it, you really got to give a lot of credit to coaching of having those guys prepared and getting them in a position to succeed. Um, so I look at that and I say, you know, I believe West Phillips had a huge hand in on that. And when you look at the talent that the Rams have there at the tight end position, because last year um, I had Tyler Higby as my number two tight end, and I was obsessed with Tameric Hemingway ability. Uh, he's a real, I think that in under Sean McVay, Tameric Hemingway could be a stud because he's a real kind of a spread you out, get out there and just dominate you sort of in a Jordan Reed mode, but bigger. You know, so I think that uh, the idea of West Fields coming aboard could really, really, really help those guys. So there is some positive to yeah, it. I think I, he could really he, he can I, evolve some of the about, weapons. What about him under Bill Callahan for a couple of years or a year? Could you bring in Bill Callahan as your offensive coordinator? He's got a past history of doing it. Um <clears throat> If McVay wants, he can still get in there and call plays, but you have Callahan Manning as the official offensive coordinator who get paid as such, have the title. He can still work on the offensive line, too. Uh, and then you have a guy like Wes Phillips learn under Callahan and McVay at the same time, and then in a couple of years you promote Wes Phillips. Promote him to offensive coordinator? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. However, you know, that would mean that that sh- that Bill Callahan is literally signing off on that. You know, he knows what he knows what he's coming into when he gets there. He knows he's only here to mentor well, this guy for a few Callahan years. Bill Callahan himself could, could use it to to get a better position, maybe even become a head coach again. You know, get a second chance at that. I, you know, it's up to Bill Callahan how he wants to play it. Maybe he just wants to be low-key, be a position coach or even a coordinator. I don't know. But there was a lot of talk about it, and it certainly wouldn't hurt McVay to get a guy like Callahan in there. Here's my question um, between, with Wes Phillips and Callahan and Sean McVay. Um, at what point do you say, okay, we've had enough Redskins coaches? <laughs> yeah, well, after a while, there. after a while, it starts to look like, you know, what ha- happened with Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher came in and it became Tennessee Titans 2.0. It right. was all the Titans players and it was, you know, all these coaches and stuff. You know, at what point does it do you look at it and you say what now if it was a dominant franchise where the coaches were, you know, deserved a lot of credit and they were just killing it like the Packers or or the Patriots or something like that, where there's just no matter who you have playing, there's just constant success. Um, then you look at the coach and say, OK, these coaches are really doing a great job. So when you get one coach and he brings five guys over with you, you're like, man, we're getting a lot of that success, <laughs> you know. But it's not like that with the Redskins, <laughs> you know. So it's not like you're bringing over a bunch of coaches that just absolutely killed it. You know, so I don't think that, you know, part of it is I don't think that you want to just bring in as bring in so many guys, you know, from one organization, you know, at that point, you're just kind of becoming the the clone of what they were. And if they weren't a dominant team, then how would you want to be a clone of that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's completely fair. Um, you know, there there's some talk here. There's a question underneath that they're looking at bringing the Washington DB coach to come over too, though I don't quite understand that because that currently that position currently sits vacant. 
uh, <laughs> as I understand. So the only thing I can think that maybe they're talking about, because I was trying to do some research on this, uh, maybe Aubrey Pleasant is is what they were talking about. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think basically you want to be... You, you, First of all, Washington's only going to let McVay take so much. You know, yeah. it's not like they're going to say, hey, man, we wish you the best of success. Go ahead and take our shit. Um, yeah. Washington feels like they've got themselves a team. And to be fair, they may. It's a it's a horribly owned team. And I am sure that people could list a billion problems that that team has. But you know what, though? It's a talented roster, and if they can figure out their quarterback position, and, and Kirk Cousins did it for them, you know, that's a team that can do some things, man. So I, yeah. I don't think that Washington's sitting there saying, hey, man, we're ready to go into rebuilding mode so you can, you know, Pep Guardiola, come on in here and and, and, and take a couple Barca players with you on your way to Bayern Munich. It's, it's not going to happen, man. You know, the, the, I, I do understand because the final question is McVeigh wants to get one wide receiver from Washington and Friere who knows scheme, Jackson or Garcon. Look, man, I, I personally think that Deshaun Jackson is the more high-profile guy, but I would bring in Pierre Garcon because you need somebody who can teach your youngins about running routes and I think that bringing in Deshaun Jackson, A, is always a risk because Deshaun Jackson's a me guy. And and you got to be careful of that when you have a young head coach, man. Bringing in a guy like Deshaun Jackson, it doesn't matter if he was with you in Washington. He was under, you know, he, Jay Gruden took him and, and he had to do Jay Gruden's thing. Deshaun Jackson might not have the same level of respect. He may, he may not. I don't know. I frankly just don't know with Deshaun Jackson. This kind of so you don't trust him. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't even say that. I would just say I don't trust his history because I don't necessarily Fair know enough. if I buy everything that Chip, Chip Kelly said when he booted him. You know. Fair enough. Like I, I, there, there's a plausibility that Chip Kelly was being somewhat of a dick too. So. Um, I, you know, he's, you know, was talking about him being a thug and having gang ties and this and right. that. And it could very well be true, but you know what? Find me a football player that doesn't have gang ties of some kind. Like, that's half the NFL. And I'm not saying that as some sweeping statement, man. You come from inner cities, it's just who you I have friends who are in or were in gangs, man. Like if you come from those areas, it's natural, man. And and the best talent in the world in, in, in America, it's coming from the same places in Florida. It's coming from the same places in Southern California. L.A., Compton's, you know, different various areas of Texas and whatnot, man. So I, I, I don't really necessarily think that Chip Kelly – I mean, this is the same guy who made Riley Cooper his number one guy, you know. So what, what he thinks about Deshaun Jackson isn't exactly at the top of my list. But I do, I do honestly think that Deshaun Jackson gives you more of the same. You know, I think that I think it's very interesting. Um, 
a very interesting thought to say, well, when you bring in this veteran, you want him to teach your receivers the art of route running. Because I personally think that Deshaun Jackson is a very underrated route runner uh, because of his speed he's so often used to take the top off. But Deshaun Jackson also has routinely gotten open underneath. And I recall his uh, his second to last season in Philly um, when people were saying, oh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't catch intermediate routes. He's scared to go over the middle. It, it was like he almost made it a point to run more of those routes. And he had a very high success rate with that. Deshaun Jackson doesn't drop a lot of balls. I think that's something else that people uh, people overlook. Um, Neither does he, Pierre Garçon. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that Pierre Garçon does. I just think that it's, it's certain parts of Deshaun Jackson's game that gets overlooked because he's such a threat deep. I think he's only viewed as a deep threat, um, but when get, you really kind of. I get you. I get you. I get. Yeah, when you really dive into it, he's not just a deep threat. Like he really does do a lot he's of a things. Polished, he's a polished all the way around, man. That's the only yeah. way to have that much success. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is, is is to be good because if it was just scheme or system, you would you would have belly flopped out at some point. But Deshaun Jackson's been Deshaun Jackson wherever Deshaun Jackson's been. Exactly, so, and it didn't matter who the quarterback was. You know, he's played with what five or six different quarterbacks, starting yeah. quarterbacks, yeah. and he continued and to have I the same success. I wouldn't call any of them all world either. No, he played with Donovan McNabb. He played with Kevin Cobb. He played with Mike Vick. He played with Nick Foles. Uh, and he's played with um, Kirk, Cousins. Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin. <laughs> you know, so it didn't really matter who he had thrown on the ball, but he's still produced. And that's I think that's something that you have to really take into account. And, you know, I, I, I really, really admire um, his effort with catches too. You see him just laying out for the ball. Like the beast so small, he doesn't care about that body. He he lays it all out there, which is what you want. You want your receiver to have that warrior in him, that toughness, which I think he does. I don't really care, like you said, what Chip Kelly said about gang affiliations and stuff. When you get down to we get down to the bottom of it, how many times have has he been suspended because he just got arrested? The guy's never had a DUI or anything, right. <laughs> you know. So that's what I'm saying, man. Like gang, so, gang ties. Like I mean, it turns out Aaron Hernandez was a blood. You know, I mean, what <laughs> we I mean, gang ties mean so so little when you're talking about guys who come from inner cities. You know, like it, it, it could be their cousin. That's in a game yeah. like that qualifies. And then, and then the coach will say that's a gang tie. So exactly. that's why I, I don't really care about that, that quote or anything like that. Deshaun Jackson has never been in trouble. You yeah. know, you, there, there's, a, there's never been any sort of issue guy. or anything. No doubt so, about that. He can poison a locker room in that sense. But you're absolutely right about him not being uh, an off the field distress. Yeah, you've never had an off. And I wouldn't even go as far as to say he'll poison a locker room because what locker room has he poisoned? <laughs> you know, Andy Reid never once complained about him, and none of the teammates ever complained about him. You know, so I can't. It wasn't ever a complaint until Andy, until Chip Kelly got there. So right. I don't. I just think him and Chip Kelly just didn't see eye to eye. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and then Chip Kelly just said what he said. But then again, players said a lot. Chip players said a lot of stuff about Chip Kelly. So, so, so I guess my point is, I guess my point is like. I think between him and 
Pierre Garçon, um, I would prefer to have Deshaun Jackson um, for multiple reasons. Um, all that other stuff doesn't scare me off. That's kind of what I was alluding to and going over all that is just like it doesn't scare me off because I don't really buy into all of it. Um, and plus, you look at his success no matter what. Deshaun Jackson's 30 years old. He hasn't lost a step. And I really think he can teach Tavon Austin a lot considering the similarity in their skill set. Um, I think Tavon Austin can learn a lot from him. And when you already have one guy on there, you know, I don't think there's a lot that I don't think there's a lot that Pierre Garçon can teach Pierre Garçon can teach her a $40 million receiver because they're so different. You know, there's not a lot that he could teach because, you know, Tavon Austin isn't going anywhere. He's your $40 million receiver. He's stuck. So if you're going to have him, why not have someone that he can really learn from, you know? And then you add in the fact that Pierre, or that, uh, Pierre Garçon just simply is not nearly as explosive as he used to be. So no, I would definitely no, take the shot, Jackson. He's older too, so yeah, he's thirty. He's gonna be thirty-three this year. Yeah, you you you've swayed me. Um, I don't think he's that old. I think he's uh, only. Uh, I think he's only thirty. I think yeah. he's thirty-two. No, I don't know. I could 30. be wrong. He's born in eighty-six. Okay. He's only thirty. Uh, okay. So, um, but either way, it doesn't matter. A receiver entering his thirties, a receiver still in his twenties, you know, that's still producing point. Well made. You have swayed me to Deshaun Jackson. Final question before we get out of here, just came in under the wire from Mr. Tyra Clark devil's punch. He says, do we knew the full list of assistant coaches hired or in the works? He said that we renew. Do, what, do we know the full list of assistant coaches who have been hired or those who are supposedly being talked about as as potential uh, hires? As far as hired, uh, yes. Every, you know, with every coach that's hired, there's always a report that comes out. But um, who they're talking to? No. <laughs> uh, no, we don't have a we don't. It's been it's really been kind of quiet on the assistant coach front. Um, right. There has been a lot of talk. I think the focus is filling the major roles, which was defense coordinator and then obviously offense coordinator, then trickling down from there is the defense coordinator and offense coordinator. Both are going to have such a huge say in who their assistants will be. So um, you can't really fill those assistant roles until you fill those coordinator roles. And, you know, it's a pyramid. You know, you have your head coach and then he gets his coordinators because they're going to one guy's going to run his defense. The other guy's going to run his offense. And then they're going to get their guys of how they who they want to run and how they're going to do it. So um, it's really hard to do that until you get those positions filled. And I think that while it was immediately um, reported that Wade Phillips, Phillips was going to be coming to town with Sean McVay after Sean McVay signed, Wade Phillips didn't officially get in until last week. He hadn't signed or anything until last week. So uh, he really was away. I think he probably was on vacation or something, but uh, Wade Phillips was not around. So he, so while it was, while he agreed to terms, he wasn't actually in the building yet. So everything is really still hasn't really gotten going yet. The ball is uh still kind of uh, in, in the cockpit waiting to get let loose. Yep. That's where we're at. And you can also listen to the one-on-one -on -one interview that I did with Ben Albright right after um, uh, McVeigh was hired. Uh, Albright actually goes into depth about who they'll be looking at. That's on the site. If you just Google, you know, Turf Show Times, Josh Webb, Ben Albright, uh, ben, you should be able to find those interviews. I believe there's only a couple couple weeks ago too that I talked to him. So um, it's it's that's basically where we sit. Uh, 
I guess the last thing before we get out of here is what do you got coming up, man? What what you working on? Uh, I finished my uh, big board here. Uh, actually, just finished it today, so I'm going to be dropping that uh, my second big board, and I'm well into scouting reports here. Um, with the combine coming up, those are going to be coming out pretty soon here. Um, also, just kind of been touching on a lot of my sleepers. This is de- this is like the heart of film season for me. <laughs> you know, I'm like this is where I'm doing all my reviewing of tape, not just from uh, not just for the uh, players that's going to be entering the league this year through the draft, but then also reviewing a lot of stuff from the teams uh, this this past season. You know, it's, this is like the the time of nonstop film watching. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I'm just right now. I'm just finishing up my uh, my second big board. Um, also finish up my sleepers list, which uh, um, there's some really, really, really good sleepers in this year's draft. Some guys that um, I'm really, really excited about seeing and considering the Rams are going to, uh, you know, going to have the bulk of their picks are going to be in the middle rounds uh, if they get the expected um compensatory picks a third fourth and a sixth round you know that'll give them you know one third and two fourths and a fifth and two six um so this with there being what i believe a lot of sleepers in this year's draft i think that the Rams should be able to land one or two decent players if they really really dive into it so um i'm going to touch on all that here in the next couple of days with a couple of sleeper reports and scouting reports as well as a big board and I'm going to be taking a look at the anatomy of what it takes for a young coach to succeed. I'd, uh, I've piqued my own curiosity as we've been talking about this and looking at young coaches who have succeeded. I've been kind of thinking about some in my mind, you know, guys who've been able to step in and and kind of do things that were unexpected. And we'll take a look at maybe what made those successful versus other guys like Lane Kiffin who flat bottomed out. Um, so you can find that on Turf Show Times. Uh, as always, uh, we're going to have continuing draft coverage. My son and I aren't going to be hesitating to talk to as many draft candidates as we can uh, and, and, and do some more of these uh, podcasts. So this is the official Turf Show Times radio podcast. This one will stay but there are going to be probably some extra podcasts with Myson and I that will be draft oriented, looking at players in the draft, hopefully talking to some players in the draft or talking to some draft experts about the draft. And those will be separate from this. So uh, I, I look forward to sharing some more of that with you. And we'll be definitely having on Derek Klossian. Uh, to talk about the draft and as he goes through and gets everything ready. So be sure to head over to Turf Show Times. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. Um, but we're basically on all the things. Just type in Turf Show Times plus whatever, and you should be able to find it. Um, a big shout out to our editors who do a fantastic job and producer Scotty, who you can follow at Sports Speaks. Uh, that is sports and then speaks as in talks, chats, raps at you. Any, any of the above will work. You can follow me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. You can follow Mycin on Twitter at Mighty Indo or Mycin. And be sure to follow us at Turf Show Times. Uh, we're going to be making some changes, making some improvements, and looking at things that we can do 
to make this podcast better and reach a wider audience. So expect some more of that over the summer. Uh, Other than that, we will catch you guys next time right here on Turf Show Radio. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.